0: Put the work on the school or the doctor or whoever it is to really make an appointment and go together where the sort of expert in the situation takes the reins. That can be another way to stop yourselves getting into conflict. In the Blend is a
1: podcast series that helps parents navigate life within a blended family. Join me as I speak with experts and guests to get practical advice on how to have a harmonious blended family life this series dives deep into the unique dynamics, logistics and challenges of raising a blended family. From new partners to juggling mixed finances, we will help guide you through it. Well, getting children prepared for back to school can be challenging enough on its own, but can get even more stressful in a non-traditional family. As well as having to turn your attention to supplies, clothing, and helping kids succeed academically and socially, for parents in divorced and blended families, these challenges are compounded as they also have to think about things like the logistics of hauling stuff back and forth between houses, clarifying parental roles, and communicating those with school teachers, and also trying to provide schoolwork consistency between houses, plus much, much, much more. My guest today is Elizabeth Shaw. CEO of Relationships Australia, New South Wales. She's a clinical and counseling psychologist and a specialist in family therapy with over 25 years of experience. I recently heard Elizabeth speaking on a podcast about coping with the holidays after separation and divorce, and I thought to myself that this is absolutely someone we need to have on the show. In today's episode, Elizabeth will provide some valuable insight into the ways co-parents can navigate this time well do their best to make things run as smoothly as possible as we enter the school year, and importantly, set their kids up for success. Well, good morning, Elizabeth. Thank you so much for joining me today on In The Blend. Hi, Laura. It's a pleasure to be here. Fantastic. Well, Elizabeth, I was I was just saying I recently heard you talk about some of the challenges that the holiday period can present on another podcast. You were talking about the challenges from both the children and the adult perspective in blended families and how the challenges can differ depending on their individual situation. So, as we're now transitioning from what may have potentially been quite an emotionally fueled period into what is now this back-to-school season, blended families in particular are faced now with a new array of issues. So, in your experience, Elizabeth, what are some of the reasons that blended families may find it more stressful than, say, a non-traditional family at this time?
0: Well, realistically in many ways relationships work because of the engagement with a whole range of others in our lives. So we tend to um, uh, diffuse the amount of intensity in relationships and enrich our relationships by being involved with others, whether it's school or work or hobbies or other friends. And so um, there's something about the holiday time where you there is an expectation that you're going to thoroughly enjoy time together and it's all going to go well, and it's, you know, full of happiness and board games. And, um, and so I think particularly for blended families who may be still trying to find their feet with each other or where they might be making, in many ways, a very good go at family life, being thrown together and being expected to get on for long periods of time, week after week, can be challenging. Um, I think, too, for the couple – where sometimes if you do have ex-partners involved and you do try and balance the to and fro of kids to other families so that you can have some couple time, over the holidays you can be particularly faced with any dynamics from the past that are still getting in your way. You know, the, the ex that simply won't negotiate over changed arrangements or, you know, whatever it might be. Um, because realistically family life works with a fair bit of spontaneity and flexibility, and on any one day you have to wing it, you know. And I think if you're trying to navigate exes and their routines and their relationships, um, it can be very difficult. So as the family holiday period kind of grinds on, um, it can be, you know, it can still go quite well, but it can also be far more challenging uh, because of all of those different relationships and dynamics to navigate. And so coming off the back of that then into this next phase now,
1: which is back to school, where families are getting back into routine, how can blended families go about making that
0: transition a little bit smoother? Well, look, I think in some ways it's, it's common for every family that Um, that the holiday time, you know, part of the pleasure of it is no making of lunches, no rigid bedtime routine. There's a lot of things about that that are great, but it also can get quite unhinged, you know, where um, all bets are off and there is no particular routine and sometimes kids are completely out of their schedule. And that isn't always good for people in a whole range of ways. It's, it can mean that there's this big contrast between holiday and school. And so, therefore, school becomes resented because it's not only about the strictness of a routine, but it's about I lost my late times with my parents. I lost the sort of late movies, the staying up, the extra treats. And so, school becomes loaded with all of these different losses Um, the loss of fun altogether. So in these next um, few weeks, it's really worth starting to gently prune that if that's what's been happening. Um, You don't have to make any big announcements, but just starting to move to a little bit more of a conservative bedtime where maybe staying up late is more a weekend thing, just starting to move towards that direction rather than wait till the final week I think is really important. I think starting to talk about how well you've done as a family, what you've enjoyed about the time together, what goes well, what doesn't, Um, you know, appreciate what you've managed to hang together and particularly in a blended family to be able to say, Look, there's a lot, of, a lot about what we do that's got an extra level of kind of stuff to work out. And on on balance, these are the things we do well. I think appreciating each child for how they manage that or what they bring to it. You know, you're always the one who tells a good joke or you're the one who's always easygoing, talks everyone around, you're the mediator. I think being able to appreciate that, um, but also I think to tune into your individual kids because in a blended family you can be so busy trying to make the group work and to make your own relationship work that you can lose sight of your own children sometimes needing that special time with you. And in the holidays um, that sort of all in Um, can mean that your kids are getting a bit scratchy or a bit resentful because they just, they need a bit of private time or separate time. So I think to remember that having time together and separately um, is also a benefit. And if you haven't done that yet and your child seems to be needing that, to try and build that in in the holidays. And, you know, that said, Um, I think having special time with the children that are not your biological children might be important too, depends on the hobbies and interests and the way you get on. So it's not about a divide up, my children and me are going to do this, but it's more that if your children are still getting used to being in a blended family or just still need the reassurance that they can claim separate time with you, just remember in these last couple of weeks, there's still a bit of time to achieve that.
1: Something else that I wanted to touch on was communication, because I know as we get out of the holiday period, we're coming back into the school time again, that, that increased planning and communication among the adults is going to be really important. And I know that's certainly been the case in our, our personal situation. So what are some of the ways that co-parents can do this well in in advance of the, the start of school coming up at the end of the month?
0: Well, look, I guess there can be a difference between whether you've just moved in together and starting the school year is the first time you're going to start it together or if it's a repetition. So maybe just to start with the repetition. I think uh, being able to have a bit of time well before, you know, the night before, where you start to say, look, what do we do well as a couple? How have we managed it in previous years Um, or even just last year? Um, where did our routine really work for us and where did it not, to be able to talk about it before you're right in the hot spot of it. Um, when you're in the night before or at the end of the first week where you're going into, you always do this. That that tends to never go very well. Um, it immediately incites defensiveness. Whereas if you do it now, you you're still sort of anticipating. You're not right in the middle of the fight. So it could be, look, I'm thinking back and, you know, we – we organise things this way and I think that worked okay, but maybe this year we could try something else. But to say, to start from a position of appreciation, now what do you think as a couple we actually do quite well? Where are we missing the mark? It would be understandable that it's a work in progress. Let's just say that's okay rather than fall into um, a list of failures or accusations I think is really important to be able to say, look, this is hard to get right. And, in fact, what getting getting it right means is up for grabs. Um, So let's be kind to each other and grateful that we're on the journey Um, and we have a lot of other stresses and pressures and have a conversation based on that. Um, I think the other thing is you've got to be able to read the room. You've got to be able to read also what your kids need but not fall into their demands. Um, because if kids, like whether you're biological parents or in a blended family, if they see cracks in the system, they will take advantage, not not in a malicious or nasty way, but kids' job is to get their own needs met. So if they can see that with a bit of trouble, um, they can get more of you to themselves, then those things happen. They're not plotting, they're not sort of planning for this, but it just, it happens. So I think um, making sure you're a fairly tight ship, but you also do read the needs of individual kids. You're not at their mercy. Um, you know, you, you need to be able to just see, though, that if your children are needing things to be different, what are we hearing from our kids that could be better? Um, but it's actually okay as the adults to take a stand and to say, We've decided that the best way for this to work is this way. That's okay too. Um, It's just when you're going to make a unilateral call, you've just got to be on good ground. So, um, And I think, you know, getting some advice, if you did get stuck last year in a number of predictable, familiar places and you just couldn't get yourself unlocked from it, getting some professional advice to navigate maybe some other creative ways to approach things could also be handy
1: definitely. I think that that's a great suggestion. And uh, practically speaking, would you suggest that couples or co-parents rather get together over a phone call or a a face-to-face meeting to talk through some of these issues and do a, like you say, a review of what was working, what wasn't, and and what are we going to do differently in the year forward?
0: Look, I think, um, I think because family life being what it is, um, it can be very hard to create these spaces for conversation at home when the family's there. So it may well be after the kids are in bed um, or sometimes couples leave it to date night. If it can be quite a productive conversation and can be quite sort of productive, date night's okay because it is reflecting on your relationship and about how you're going to do things if though so, these are topics that get you into trouble, um, or that you you can end up getting a bit scratchy with each other, then using date night, you know, you might need date night to be about having some fun to bolster your relationship, and therefore having a more formal meeting at home can be better. So I think you've got to judge this. I see a lot of couples that end up avoiding date night because it's it you know they they end up going down these paths and then they. You know, resent it. So I think I think um, uh, making a definite time. You know, why don't we on Sunday nights just start to think about the week ahead or think about the weeks ahead, um, just for half an hour. Why don't we just have half an hour? Then I think you're not setting up a big stressful. I'm meeting you on the couch and there's going to be trouble. Um, but more, why don't we just every week get into a bit of a review um, and start with what we're doing well. Um, then I think it doesn't have to be a big threat sitting down for the big talk. Um, so that that can be quite helpful and also a routine. But I think making sure that you're both ready for it is really important rather than, um, you know, launching into it. You know, you're on the dishes and you, you say, I've got a bone to pick with you, um, is less helpful than, look, I want to talk about the year ahead. When would be a good time? How about we sit out the back with a, you know, drink after work and just chat? Um, That might be quite easy. But I think getting your partner ready for that kind of conversation, not as a threat, but more like I want to invite you to the conversation, um, that can be a, a softer start up to it. And what about from an ex-partner
1: perspective? So communicating effectively with your ex-partner about the year forward, and yeah. it might be that children are going back and forth between two houses, there's things to navigate as, a, as parents of that child across two different homes. Um, would you suggest a, a separate discussion or, or you know, similar style discussion where there's, there's an opportunity to reflect on the year that was and, and how are we going to do things differently this year?
0: Look, ideally, you would do the same with an ex, but it really depends entirely on where you're up to in the separation and whether people can have that conversation. And whether um, whether your partner sees you as being, your ex-partner sees you as somehow still holding respect and appreciation for their efforts too. Um, if, if not, um, then it can be harder. But I think, um, again, inviting them to a conversation, why don't we once a quarter just, um, you know, meet up for coffee and have a bit of a talk, um, then that could be a good thing. I think if your ex is very unresolved about the separation, still wants you back, still is holding umbrage about what happened, then it may be that you set up a meeting even with a mediator um, who you've got in your corner or a family counselor to just create a formal space so it doesn't become unhinged um, but if if you do have a lot of negative history in fact inviting them to say look why don't we do a bit more work on the negative history and try to get to a better place um, I've certainly seen quite a number of couples that are working through why did the relationship fall apart and what can we do going forward when, We need an ongoing relationship, but our own intimate relationship unraveled. Like, how do you do that? It feels like a mixed thing, doesn't it? Like, we couldn't get it together when we were together. How do we get it together when we're apart? And so so sometimes working it through a bit more could be a good thing. The other thing you can also do is show leadership. If you feel ready to do it, is to say to them, look, I know our separation hasn't been easy, and I know I've played my part in it being messy, I've been resentful or angry or disappointed Um, and I've shown that in ways that aren't always productive. Um, I'd really like to find a way to do it differently because I do respect you as a parent. I think you have been, you know, a good person. We used to love each other. I mean, I think if if you feel like you've got it in you to say something like that and to say, you know, we've got a lot of years ahead, can we do something but expect if there's been long history for your partner to maybe have some pushback so well it's all right for you or um, yeah all very well for you to say that now just take it on the chin and say yep it probably does seem like that but i'd like to offer it i think if you can show leadership there's also sometimes a chance that your part your ex will say oh, all right um but i think you've got to have tight parameters for that conversation and and maybe start with um, look, I think we both want our, the best for the kids. We both want a life of our own. We're both disappointed our marriage didn't work out. I think the more you can have we, we both, we want, it also lessens, you know, it puts you back on the same page. It it attributes good intentions to you both. Um, and, you know, and I think in a spirit of appreciation and respect. Um, and, and also the other thing, the final thing I'd say is, Aim low. I think at the first discussion where you're trying to turn negativity around, don't lay out your full agenda. I want every second weekend, I want this. It's more about saying I want better for us. Um, you know, I'd like to talk together in a way that's less scratchy, less in less in front of the kids, that kind of thing. Leave it a bit global and and then say, look, if, if it's gone okay, maybe we can get together next time and just review how we're going with our actual routine Um, you know I think that could also be helpful because otherwise you could undo all the good leadership by them saying aha your agenda in this was really to try and manipulate me into you know changing my nights or something so I think you've got to have a bit of a plan and again working it through with a professional could be really helpful and some people seeing a mediator to do the actual arrangements is a good thing. For people who are still just trying to work out and work their way through the negative history, sometimes a family, a family counsellor or a, a clever relationship counsellor who's very clear you're not trying to get back together but you're just trying to address history can be, you know, money well spent. We often say it is a long road ahead,
1: especially if you've got young children, to your point earlier, and and it really is important that you do make an effort to try and decrease any conflict that might, uh, that you know, that might be present. And um, some of the practical things that we've had to think about are, are things like who's going to respond to that email the teacher sent, or how will we... Agree on who the teacher needs to contact if there's an issue at school or those sorts of things. So also making sure that uh, you're quite specific about roles and responsibilities and who's doing what um, as part of those discussions as well. So there's no confusion and um, yeah, and it's it's easier for everyone, um, including the children and the teachers and um, and and both both parents. So.
0: Look, I think that's right. Um, Again, if you're in a good routine where you are focused on the best interests of the children and what's going on with the school, for some couples it can be whoever gets in first. I mean the same with if you are the original biological parents. You know, the one person could just get to their emails first and respond. It's really about always copying the other person in. And when you're separated, saying things like, you know, look, I'd be very happy to meet, I've copied my... Um, the child's father in, or the mother, um, and I'll I'll see if we can arrange something together. And then you're not dissing anybody. You're just you're just setting up. Well, we'll have to work something out. So I think if it's a benign email, um, rather than a very strong, opinionated email, if you need to discuss it, it would be more just getting in first, perhaps, and replying. Um, that we'll discuss it and get back to you. I think then you're not um, you're just setting up a polite sort of um, practical way of communicating, um, and uh, and I think making sure that you do put the work on the school or the doctor or whoever it is to really make an appointment and go together where the the sort of expert in the situation takes the reins. Um, that can be another way to stop yourselves getting into conflict where the two of you start to debate what you think the teacher is going to say rather than just, okay, let's make a time to talk to you about it, and then you're the audience. Um, It it can also stop the conflict to get the information that you need before moving to conclusions. Definitely, and
1: even going to things together, like parent-teacher
0: interviews mm-hmm. or
1: um, school assemblies and performances, and and letting yeah. go of any animosity, um, you know, that comes with having to regularly see your ex-partner, uh, but really focusing on the children and what's what's in their best interests.
0: Look, absolutely, it's understandable that it can be very difficult. You know, if if one person is still struggling with the separation and the other person's partner and even had another child, you can imagine that the school concert is like a visible display of all of that disappointment. So I think for people in pain, you've also got to be respectful about being at different stages of the journey we can have expectations about what kids what is in the kids best interest you know is it in the kids best interest that everyone sits together in a row of seats or not do they do they not have to care about that um and i think you know it really depends if the kids are free to move between all the people present or if it's like oh gosh if i run over to dad then mum will never speak to me for the rest of the week or you know i think i think if it's fluid, the more you can make it okay for the kids to rush up to both of you, um, the better. But I think that can often mean leaving new partners at home as well. Now, some people do that and it doesn't matter at all. Others feel very indignant about that and think, well, they've just got to get used to the fact that I've repartnered. Um, And yes, maybe they do in time, but if it's year one, Maybe they don't have to in year one, and maybe your new partner doesn't have to be at the school concert. Um, you know, I think there's, I, I think it's how you talk to the kids. It's not, um, you know, it's just saying to the kids, look, we're all still getting used to this. So we're going to do it in bits and pieces and we're going to do it in stages and um, we're going to film the concert to include whoever. Um, I think it's don't don't make it a big deal in front of the kids, don't make it a big announcement, but just to say we're working to make everybody as comfortable as possible um, and, and then sort of proceed with it. I think when you start to throw down the gauntlet that I've decided it has to be this way, I'm taking who I want to and no one's going to stop me, or I insist it has to be like this or that, um, that generally is about yourself and not not about the kids at all. And it's not even kind to your ex. If your ex is struggling, I mean, you don't want to be at their mercy for the rest of your life. Of course you don't. But but again, if it is year one, um, then maybe you can cut them a little bit of slack just for that time. So I'm interested
1: to know about the role that Relationships Australia, New South Wales plays in supporting blended families. Um, I know a couple of times you've touched on, on uh, the people reaching out to get some external support to help them navigate some of these really complex issues. So I'd love to know how how Relationships Australia can help.
0: Look, I think organisations like ours are specifically funded. Um, and accredited to provide relationship and family support. So I think the thing is that, um, you know, everybody here is is trained to work in um, couples who are working to enrich their relationship, who are struggling with their relationship, who are separating and recovering. Um, certainly a lot of work where there's domestic violence. So that, that's that's really our thing. Um, if if you've worked through a separation with a good couple counsellor, that person may be able to be a resource because they know you maybe three months down the track where you're trying to navigate a separation or six months down the track. It also can be good to draw a, a corral, a, you know, a sort of curtain around that to say actually that was when we were together, we need someone different, you know, so that you don't fall into... The past conversation. So I think you've got to choose who the right person is for you. We do often, we do also offer mediation so that when you finish the emotional processing or the sort of the reflections and discussion and the max, maximizing the learning of the breakup, then um, moving to formal mediation can be quite useful because in that process, It's very practical. It's not about the past. It's not about your emotions. It's actually about what are the needs, what are your your decisions to be made, and that can be quite good when you're still feeling quite rocky. To have someone keep you in a fairly supportive but tight process around getting decisions, um, that can be really helpful and to also refer you back to counselling as needed. The other thing that we offer is we have quite an extensive group work program for education and support. So one of our most popular programs, for example, is after Separ- It's called After Separation and it really is a group for people who are all going through the same thing, which is how the hell do I do this? Um, and, and it's amazing how many people don't know anybody else who's separated. You'd think in our day and age with the high divorce, that would be common, but many people um, actually don't know anybody in that situation, or don't, or want their privacy to talk issues through. So that can be helpful. Um, we also have um, a, a digital downloadable resource, which is uh, which people can do in their own time, called Kids in Focus, which is about helping parents tune into the needs of kids, particularly around separation. You know, how do we think about their needs? How do we take them into account? Um, so, yeah, an organisation like ours has is a bit of a one-stop shop for all of these different sorts of experiences which um, can make you feel like you've got um, the right resources at your disposal and you can dip in and out of them as things change over time. We also do property settlement um, negotiations and parenting plans. So, um, that's helpful. We're not a legal service that is all about the mediation of those things.
1: Fantastic. I'll certainly ensure we link to all of that in the show notes, Elizabeth. Uh,
0: are there any
1: final top tips that you can provide for, for co-parents, uh, either step-parents, co-parents, <laughs> couples who are navigating this transition from holidays back into school time and making things run as smoothly as possible? Yeah.
0: Look, I, I do I do think that, um, you know, just to really emphasise um Trying to be appreciative of what you are able to achieve, rather than look at it in a deficit way. You know, where do we keep stuffing up? Where's the problem? Who's the problem? Um, to try and try and look at, you know, we're all a work in progress, and family life is messy, and sometimes things are getting scratchy because you're together too much, and that's not a negative. You know, you, instead of thinking, oh, well, that's a terrible indictment about us, it can be because. Um, Maybe we were too ambitious about how much time we have together and getting out and about and mixing in with others can be really wise. Um, As I said before, starting to get into the routine now so that bedtimes are a little bit more corralled, kids are still doing some jobs around the house, that kind of thing is really helpful. Um, But I think also around relationships, both current and past relationships, Um, to keep trying to take the perspective of others, be accountable for your own part in things. Uh, We tend to be much better at naming how other people fail us than our own contribution. So when you get really upset about something to actually say, well, what did I bring to that? Like what was my own part in that? Because the very least you can do is work on that bit. Um, That can be really helpful. And it's tempting to keep moving to blame to others, like, well, I did get very angry then, but it was their fault. I mean, that's still doing the same thing. Um, Whereas to say, well, I was angry, maybe I didn't need to be that angry, um, I think is a much more accountable position. Um, It certainly will de-escalate things, but also it does show leadership for others. If you can do that um, in front of your kids and, and others to say, look, I don't think I handled myself well just then, what great leadership for your kids to see too because maybe they can say the same at different times. Absolutely.
1: It's all about the self-reflection, isn't it? Um, Yeah. Elizabeth, I've so enjoyed our chat today. We are at time now, um, so we'll need to leave it there. But thank you very much for all of those pearls of wisdom that you've offered up during our chat today. And hopefully we'll be able to have you back on the show another time. Thanks so much, Laura. Thanks for listening to the In The Blend podcast. The show notes for this episode are available at intheblend.com.au. And if you like what you heard, be sure to subscribe and please rate and review in your podcasting app. You can also follow me on Facebook, Instagram and LinkedIn.